Hello, everyone. Welcome back to a brand new episode of the Sends Hour podcast. Myself, uh, Shane, and alongside with Derek, as always. Before we get started, we got a quick word from our sponsors, DraftKings. And I mean, you've constantly heard us about it. Uh, DraftKings has been all over social media and through the podcast. It's the leader in daily fantasy sports and how paydays can become every day by entering their contests with huge cash prizes up for grabs. Myself and a lot of the guys in the network have been doing the DraftKings daily pri- or daily fantasy. I haven't been so lucky. Some of my lineups have not worked out so well. Uh, but this week is jam-packed from basketball to golf. DraftKings has plenty of ways for you to have a front row seat to all the action. Making lineups on DraftKings is very fun. It's exciting every night. Easy to do. Gives you right into the game. Uh, get your lineup and feel the sweat like never before. Every moment means more with DraftKings lineup on the line. It's simple. Each player has a salary associated with drafting them. Assemble a lineup of players while staying under the salary. Sit back and watch your points pile up. DraftKings has paid out over $7 billion to all of their users across sports. That's a lot of money. DraftKings is the leader in daily fantasy sports. So if you're a fantasy guy or girl, head on over there. Use THPN code to get your free entry with your first deposit. That is code THPN to get a free entry with your first deposit only at DraftKings. So... With that out of the way, let's jump right into it. We got big news coming out of Ottawa yesterday. Our boy, Alex Gatchernyuk, we were both really high on him. Didn't get a chance. We really thought he should have been given in Ottawa. And dare I say public enemy number one in Cedric Paquette traded to Carolina for former Ottawa Senator, now current Ottawa Senator, Ryan Dezingle. So Derek, tell me how you feel about this trade. Uh, well, I feel good about the trade. I mean, uh, basically what you said there, Galchenyuk, we are both looking forward before the season. We we're really looking forward to seeing what a guy like Alex Galchenyuk and his skill set could bring to the roster. A lot of people were drawing parallels to uh, the Anthony Duclair situation that happened and played out a year before. And lo and behold, uh, the guy that uh, Anthony Duclair was acquired for, Ryan Dezingle, Coming back the Senators' way, I love the trade, I'll be honest with you. I feel like Galchenyuk, um, you know, just with his track record and reputation alone, he didn't really, um, you know, make DJ Smith feel comfortable playing him a whole lot. So uh, the opportunities were few and far between for Galchenyuk. um, And Paquette was a problem. I mean, you and I both agreed there on that front, and uh, a lot of people did, quite frankly, uh, because You look at the underlying numbers, you look at the primary stats, whatever you want to look at, uh, Cedric Paquette was not a very good player for the Ottawa Senators. Um, So essentially, the way I see it with uh, with this deal, you're getting uh, a player back into Zingle who could at least, at the very least, fetch you a second round pick back. And you're giving up a guy like Galchenyuk, who was just put on waivers today, and uh, and a guy like uh, Cedric Paquette. So uh, really, you know, those two players were not going to fetch you a second round pick or anywhere close at the deadline. And maybe, just maybe, Ryan Dezingle likes it this time around in Ottawa and decides to stick around. So uh, so you never really know. And this lineup needed speed. Ryan Dezingle can provide speed. That's uh, that's my take on the trade. What do you think, Shane? Yeah, I think, I know there was reports when Dezingle was first traded to Columbus that he didn't actually want to leave Ottawa, but you know, his agent thought that he could get, you know, six, six and a half million dollars on the open market. And obviously that was not the case. He reportedly turned down a five by five offer. Dorian wasn't willing to give him more. I think Dezingle wants, like, is happy to be back in Ottawa. He's excited for the opportunity. He'll probably get fourth line role. Honestly, I don't see him take or fourth line role. I don't see him taking out a Paul or a Stutzla. But I think with Galchenyuk, and I, you know, we talked about it before the season, Galchenyuk signing, I think, was more of an insurance situation if Stutzla was not allowed to join the Senators this year. You know, they wanted to make sure that they had an insurance plan in place in case they didn't have Stutzla. And I mean, sometimes those work out, sometimes they don't. But I honestly think Dezingle finishes the year, and unless you have a deal like a, a second-round pick for Dezingle, he finishes in Ottawa, and he could easily be back next season. Yeah, he's a player they could use now and in the future. And 
again, when you're adding speed and skill to the lineup, it's uh, you're never going to hear complaints from me. So I like the deal. I think uh, I agree with what you said. He's probably going to be used right where Galchenyuk was used on that fourth line. But at the same time, this could be now the opportunity to move Stutzla to center and, and see if you could work something out, maybe with the two players finding some chemistry, maybe with Drake Batherson. You know, you might have a, a good, quick line there. Um, or you could try Nick Paul at center. I mean, there's there's quite a few options DJ Smith will have, and I'm sure we'll we'll see, you know, quite a few different line combinations as we have, you know, throughout this season. Yeah, and I think we also shouldn't ignore the fact that Dezingle, you know, is listed as a center. You know, he was drafted as a center in Ottawa. You know, he was a center playing wing just to play in Ottawa. He was very much in that, like, Philip Schlappick kind of role where he's a natural center, but we'll move him over to wing. So there's also a situation where, hey, you maybe put him with Batherson and Stutzla to kind of get them going, or you put him with Norris and see what happens with Norris and and Dezingle. I think the only line combination that is not going to be touched is the Paul White Dadanoff line, who's been probably our best line the last four or five games. Yeah, that's that's the one line that they have going right now. I did suggest that maybe they break that line up just to create a little bit more offense from everywhere else. Um, but right now, it, it seems to me that wherever Nick Paul goes is wherever the offense goes. And he's he's kind of driving the bus for the Senators. Um, and I think it's because of his play down low. He wins a lot of puck battles, and he he's, has a lot of takeaways. He's He was at one point leading the league in takeaways. Um, so it kind of reminds you of Mark Stone in ways, uh, maybe without some of the offense. But, uh, but Nick Paul is certainly a, a useful player and probably a player that fixes into the long-term uh, future of the Senators now where, you know, before the season, that probably wasn't the case. Um, but uh, back to Ryan Dezingle, what number do you think, what jersey number do you think he's going to wear now that Stutzla is number 18? I'd say 17. Just stick with a 17. You know, people, you're you're only going to be here probably for a short while. You know, you don't know if you're going to be here till the end of the season. So maybe just pick 17 or 20 or something. I don't know. Don't don't pick something super elaborate because it does, it's just a number at the end of the day. Uh, I saw people saying, you know, do 81. People were saying that Dezingle was going to buy 18 off of Stutzla. And I'm like, <laughs> he, he's if he's buying 18 off of Stutzla, he better be buying anyone who bought a Stutzla jersey a new jersey. Yeah, Tim Stutzla is not Logan Brown. Like he, his number is not going to get purchased by another player. That's not happening. Um, 81, I could see it would be kind of cool. 17, um, who's the last player to wear number 17? Alex Galchenyuk, who, you know, is traded for Dezingle. Um, I think Legwand wore, it, wore 17 before that. I might be missing a step in there as well. Uh, um, there was one more player between Legwand and... Uh... Galchenyuk, but I don't. I think maybe Dumont or uh, hmm. one of like a, it was like a minor league player. Oh, Davidson, that's who it was. Oh, Jonathan yeah. Davidson, Jonathan wore, Davidson. It, uh, yeah. wore it last year, and he's still Davidson's still in the system, right? Yeah, he's but he's finishing up in Sweden uh, over overseas. I believe he's one of the players that they allowed to stay over overseas. Right. So yeah. So number seventeen is an option. Number twenty is an option. Uh, somewhere in that vicinity would be cool as well, but uh, we'll see. We love to talk about jersey numbers on this show, so we'll yeah. see where Dezingle goes with his. Yeah, and it's going to be interesting. But moving on from the Dezingle trade because you know he's going to be sitting for the next two weeks. I think the, his earliest, if they really want to force him into the lineup, is March first yeah. against Calgary. I would be very surprised. I think we're going to see a March fourth against Calgary, the second game of a back to back against. Uh, when we play Montreal on the third and then Calgary on the on the fourth to give him some practice time with the guys before being put into a game situation. But yeah. with that being said, we had other roster moves today. Decord was brought up from Belleville after he had a horrible game on Friday uh, with the Belleville Senators. It was a 5-1 final against Laval for Laval. He is called up to the practice squad. And then less than 20 minutes ago, uh, it was announced that Gustafson was also being put down to the taxi squad. So we know Matt Murray missed last game. It looked like he had a concussion, hit to the head on Thursday against Winnipeg. Is Matt Murray going on IR? Or do you think that they're just going to run four goalies for a little bit, let Mandalozzi 
and Cedric Andre run the pipes in Belleville for the week and kind of go from there. Yeah, it's funny that, you know, Belleville finds themselves in a really similar situation to Ottawa. They couldn't buy a save and, you know, had a really, really rough start to the season. And, uh, you know, us fans and, and a lot of people were asking for Decor to be called up as the savior. And then he goes and has a very similar start to Murray and Hogberg in Belleville. But uh, yeah, no, I think this is indicative of Matt Murray being on the IR personally. Um, I'm pretty sure that's uh, that's the corresponding move that we're going to see happen. Um, and hopefully we will get to see Joey Decord make uh, not his NHL debut, because I believe he made one start um, right after they signed him uh, and then he went to Belleville. So he'll make his second ever NHL start, uh, hopefully uh, within the next week. Yeah, I think if he were, if we were to see him, because I believe that if we retroactive Murray to Thursday when he got hurt, it's seven days from that day, but I don't think it includes the Thursday. So it'd be starting on the Friday. So he's not eligible to be taken off IR until the like this Thursday. But it, we could see him Wednesday because I don't see them putting Decord in on the back end of a back to back the no. third game in four nights against Toronto, I would see them putting him against Wednesday against them. But in other news, Branstrom should be up on IR uh, sometime this week. I believe he should be ready to go by either Wednesday or Thursday. I believe it's Wednesday at the early. He should be able to come back. Do you just send him down to Belleville at this point? Yeah, Who, it, it creates complication, right? It creates complication. Um well, I mean, it's a good problem right now, and that's uh, you know that's a positive. You've got Riley playing well, Christian Milanen just coming back from injury and playing pretty well um, overall. He's had a few little defensive lapses, um, but overall playing well. Mike Riley looks like a different player right now. I mean, we are all calling for his head at the beginning of the season, and a lot of people, you know, calling him the next Cody CC kind of thing. But uh, he's quickly changed the narrative. And Riley, to me, has been the Senators' best defenseman for a little while. So he's not coming out of the lineup uh, if I was running things. Christian Willannon, um, I, I honestly, I would choose Brandstrom over Willannon at this point, and I would look for a trade for Christian Willannon. Ooh, big, big move there. Yeah. Uh, I mean, pretty sure Riley got the assist on the game-winning goal the other day versus Winnipeg. I think, again, Riley and Zub have turned out to be our number one pair. They've been consistent yeah. since they've put together, you know, if my my top pairing or even forwards, you know, your top five are going to be Paul, White, Dadanoff, Riley's uh, Zub right now. But, you know, let's say Branstrom's back. Uh, he's taking off IR on Wednesday. Belleville plays on Friday. Ottawa doesn't play until Sunday. If you send him down to Belleville, I'll give you a couple of extra days to kind of figure out what's going on. He can play. Because right now, that's their last game for who knows how long. <laughs> uh, so you send him down to Belleville on the Friday, let him play Belleville Friday, and then go from there, in my opinion. I, I hear you on that one, but I'm going to disagree, respectfully disagree on that one. I think uh, Brandstrom just needs to be getting reps, practices in with the big squad. I think he's proved he's, – he's only had a couple of games, but I think in those couple of games – He's proved that he's NHL ready. And you know what? Long picture. We're looking at the the long picture. I don't know where Christian Willannon fits, but I know that Eric Brandstrom is a big part of the future in Ottawa. So I personally, I wouldn't want to see mixed messages sent to someone who's part of your future versus someone who may be part of this year. Yeah, that, that's for sure. I, I 100% agree on that. It's definitely going to be interesting to see what they have to do when Brandstrom comes off IR. They have the roster spots now, so they can technically carry uh, eight defensemen instead of just seven defensemen, so it's going to be interesting. But before we move on to the Winnipeg series, Paul Byron was put on waivers by Montreal. Mm -hmm. He's had a really good career with, since joining Montreal, I believe off of waivers from Calgary. He's an Ottawa native. He carries a cap hit of 34 for the this year and then for the next two seasons, do you think we, we both know Ottawa is going to have to bring in some big money veterans or some big money players this offseason to 
to get cap compliance. Do you think that Paul Byron is a guy that Ottawa should put a waiver claim on? You know, he doesn't need uh, to, to quarantine, so he could play, you know, on Monday night or, or Wednesday night. We don't, we have that guy to fill in for Anisimov while we wait for Dezingle. What do you think about Byron? Yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan of Paul Byron. Um, again, I like the injection of speed and skill. Um, so yeah, I mean, Paul Byron is still a, a play driving winger. He's, he also plays on the right side, which is a, a huge plus. Cause if you look at the left side, it's now crowded bringing in to Zingle. Um, you know, you have Stutzla there, you have Kachuk there. It's, it's a pretty heavy left side. Um, but on the right side, it's not so much the case. You have a bunch of interchangeable players. Um, Connor Brown, who, you know, hasn't really been producing is a player that, potentially could draw out of the lineup Austin Watson you could have in the lineup for some of the heavier teams to play a a heavier game but you could also have you know Paul Byron play against some of the more skilled teams like the Leafs and um, and bring some of that skill to the table and I think you know he would be a really good veteran player for the Ottawa Senators he can do a lot of things he could kill penalties he could play on your power play um, he's very fast and he's quite competent five on five. I think he would help some of the players here. I would, I would make that claim. Yeah, it's uh, definitely going to be an interesting uh, thing to see what happens. You know, Nate James Neal got cleared waivers, which isn't surprising. Uh, got Chanyuk is still in Ottawa and well, has been put on waivers by Carolina. If he gets claimed by a Canadian team, he will be, able to go to that team without quarantining. I like Paul Byron. I want him in Ottawa. I think he's a great bottom six guy. I'd much rather Byron than going out and having to grab another big money veteran for a year. I know people are like, oh, he's going to take Caps uh, roster spots away. Roster spots aren't guaranteed. You can make him your extra player for, for all we care. It doesn't matter. But he also has killed Ottawa when he's played them with Montreal. So you take that away from Montreal, and you're fine. You get one less weapon for Montreal. But moving on to the Winnipeg series. Game one, horrible. 5-1 final. Mm-hmm. Uh, Norris with the goal. It was an ugly one. Murray led in three. Hogberg led in two after Murray went down with the injury. Argument on that, that wraparound goal, which I believe was the fifth goal, Tierney was lazy on. Mm-hmm. Didn't do anything to help him. What what was, what was your takeaway after that game? You were looking at the, the, or the Saturday game. For me personally, I was like, "Oh God, this is gonna be a, this is gonna be a shit show. This is gonna mm-hmm. be a straight up, oh my God, we're not. This is not gonna be a fun day." And lo and behold, it was. But what was your take on on the Thursday game after what we saw? Yeah, I I just thought, here we go again. I mean, we're right back to square one. It's a what five one game. Um, you know, wind the clocks back. We're right back to where we were. Um, we've got to go back to the drawing board again. We're not getting the stops that we should get. We're not playing defense. Um, we're not scoring goals. And I was getting frustrated with guys like Chris Tierney, Chris Tierney that you mentioned. I mean, he's had a really slow start to the season. Um, he just looks a couple steps behind. He's never been a fast player, but he looks maybe even slower, or at least the game is caught up with him. And I'm frustrated by some of these veteran players at this point. Uh, in that game, I actually thought Derek Stepan probably played his best game as an Ottawa Senator, um, but I wasn't impressed with too many players. Um, for a while now, guys like Josh Norris and Tim Stutzla have been on a bit of a, a down in terms of their ability to play in the NHL, and um, I thought that situation was maybe coming to a head. It was nice to see Norris score a goal, um, but at the same time, the Senators, it was another route for the the Winnipeg Jets and the Ottawa Senators outshot them 40, what was it, 42 to 26 or something. It was, uh, you know. Yeah, it was like 42 to like 30, like 31 or something like that. Right. It, so again, they, they led in shots, but a lot of perimeter shots and you're looking at them like, you know, it's the same story. It's the same thing. I was expecting the same thing next game as well. But, uh, you know, thankfully we'll get into that later. Yeah, no. So that that first game, I agree. I was I was disappointed with Tierney, Connor Brown, even like you know, Dadunov, Kachuk. Honestly, I was watching that game, 
And there was a couple of times where I was looking at Kachuk and I'm like, what are you doing, bud? Like, hmm. what are you doing here? Why are, why are you in this situation? And I was just like, guys, something has to, to give. You either, you know, you got you got to do something. Something's got to give for this team to turn it around. And, you know, puck luck is a huge thing with it, capitalizing on their chances. Because these guys can score. It's just the confidence on it. And personally, I, I, I like the overall game. The defense looked good. Some bad breaks, some bad defensive breakdowns. But yeah, going into that Saturday matchup, I'm like, oh, it's an afternoon game. Who knows what, what kind of Hogberg we were going to get. You know, the lack of scoring has hurt us more than the goaltending recently. Mm-hmm. But man, that game was fun to watch. We're going to jump into game two, 2-1 victory. Kachuk, 8.2 seconds left. What a game that was. Absolutely. I mean, what a... What an unexpected game, too. I mean, nobody would have su- uh, suggested before going in, especially knowing Hogberg was in net, that you're going to win that game 2-1. to one. And Hogberg finally looked like the Hogberg that we've seen many times last season. He was tracking the puck well. He wasn't overcommitting on his angles. Um, he just looked confident right from the beginning of that game. He actually held them in in the first period when there was – you know, that Jets onslaught right away. And at the end of the game, there was one key save that he made on Adam Lowry. And it was right before Kachuk scored the goal. And I thought that was the end. I thought, here here we go. We're going to lose before overtime. We're not going to salvage a single point out of this game. I'm ready for it. And no, Hogberg comes up with a huge save. A couple of them on that sequence. Uh, Kachuk comes back down in a crazy deflection and it goes in. Finally, the Senators get a bounce. And uh, yeah, terrific game all around. It was back and forth. It was a close game, but still, um, you know, you'll take those two points and run away. Yeah, I think Hogberg, and they talked about it after. And, and before I get into it, it was funny because there was a guy who posted on Twitter uh, the Zingle's last goal with Ottawa, which happened to be Ottawa's last win in Winnipeg. And I'm like, oh, that's coincidence. We trade for the Zingle and we win the game. In Winnipeg against Winnipeg, it's just I thought it was funny. Uh, it was also funny that Paquette was reinserted into the lineup, and Doran was like, "Nah, we're just gonna trade you." Like, mm. I don't care that DJ has you in the lineup; we're just gonna trade you. But yeah, Hogberg looked great after the game. He was on TSN 1200 or, or in his pregame or his postgame conference. TSN 1200 post uh, tweeted out the quotes. He just simplified everything. He went back to the basics. He wasn't trying to do anything spectacular. He wasn't trying to overcommit. He wasn't trying to do more than he had to do. And it got us the win. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, he, I, he was rock solid. And, uh, you know, just like Matt Murray, when he came back in the Montreal series, you know, after playing so poorly to start, he finally had that one game. And it seems like that's all he needed to just get things going. And then after that, he was able to rally from it and have another win and another you know, really, really solid performance. Um, so that that was nice to see. And hopefully this is the start of Hogberg kind of returning to Hogberg that we seen last year and returning to his form. And um, with Matt Murray's injury, he's going to get the ropes now and he's going to get the net with very little pressure behind him. So he'll have an opportunity to keep it going and hopefully he just builds from that game. Hopefully, and hopefully we can get some scoring to, to give him some run support. Because I would have been so upset if we lost this game 2-1 yeah. or 3-1 with an empty net because we just couldn't score. Like, Hogbert puts out that kind of game and you can only get a one goal for, like, the fourth straight game or something. Like, I would have been so upset for Hogbert to get that, to lose that game. Oh, I was going to say, how many one-goal games in a row had the Senators had before they finally broke through and got two in this game? It was four, you said. Or would have been four. So we row. had we had our our win against Montreal was three, and then it was one against Allen, and then yeah. we had two against uh, one against Smith, mm-hmm. two against Koskinen, one against uh, Halibuck, and then wow. two against Halibuck. Yeah, brutal. This team cannot score goals for the life of them right now. Yeah, early in the season, scoring was no issue. We had the goals. We didn't have the goaltending. Yeah. And then now we have the goaltending, <laughs> and now we don't yeah. have the goals. Yeah. But, you know, 
if you had to if you had to pick a player of the of the game for the Thursday game and then the Saturday game, which I think we all know who our Saturday player of the game is going to go to. Thursday, who would you have given it to? Yeah, Thursday. Um, I just I remember Derek Stepan being okay in that game. Um, I don't want to go too far and say he was great, but I remember looking at you know watching that game and thinking, okay, I could see you know this is probably what Pierre Dorian was trying to acquire when they acquired Derek Stepan. Um, he went right back to you know normal Derek Stepan the next day, but um, but at least for that that first game. I thought, okay, like, you know, I could see it now. So nobody played particularly well, but uh, but I'll give it to him out of pity. <laughs> for me, uh, personally for me, it was uh, RTM Z- uh, Zub. Like, mm-hmm. he played really well. He was confident, calm, controlled the puck for most of the game. Like, he was a calming presence. He reminds me a lot of, like, what Mark thought would would do for Ottawa when he was on the ice. Yeah. For him, for, for that game, I give it to, to – maybe it's too early to say because, you know, he could always turn out to be a Zaitsev 2.0 in terms of contract versus value. Mm-hmm. But, you know, when I watch him play, I look a lot, I look at him like Gonchar. The way he moves the puck, yeah. the way he skates, he's very smooth. He has really great vision. I personally think he's a better defensive player than Gonchar. A little less offensive upside, obviously. Yep. Still a smooth skater, great vision, and great hockey IQ. Yeah, so from what we've seen so far in the sample, I agree with you. I think he's a very smart player with uh, with and without the puck. He just always makes the right decision. His offensive skills, they're not, you know, they're they're not Sergei Gonchar, but they're uh, but they're, you know, at least um good enough to play with some of the top D's on any team. And it's huge having that player on the right side because it builds up whoever's on his left side. And in this case, it happens to be Mike Riley, who's playing really, really good right now. Um, but going back to the, you know, who we would pick from the, that second game, um, I think Hogberg, you know, comes to mind first. You, you have to go with Hogberg, but right there with him is Mike Riley for me. Out of that second game, I think, you know, it, it's, kind of come to a head now and Mike Riley's had a handful of games basically when Matt Murray rebounded that's at the same time that Mike Riley's rebounded in my mind that very same game I noticed a different a different Mike Riley and since then it's been a, a gradual build-up and I think it came to a head last game where Mike Riley was arguably the best player on the ice aside from the goaltender yeah 100% I agree Mike Riley has definitely turned the corner and I think that has a lot to do with Zub. If you watch the play that Mike Riley did to kind of just throw the puck on net, pinch in and get that that offensive chance that he did to get on the game-winning goal, we probably wouldn't have seen that same play, uh, you know, a couple a couple of weeks ago. He probably would have tried to just dump it around the net, play for overtime. He's playing with a lot more offensive confidence and defensive confidence. But honestly, for for me, my player of the game is going to Colin White. He just seemed to be oh, yeah. all over the ice, you know, mm-hmm. battling in the corners, creating chances. That pass to Dadanoff to for the tying goal was beautiful. He just seemed to be everywhere. So you know what, Colin White has. People are saying, you know, oh, I wouldn't really attribute the the benching to to his success that he's had since being back reinserted into the lineup. I don't think you can definitively say that the benching hasn't helped. You know, obviously, we're not in practice. We don't see what the coaches see. So clearly, the benching was deserved. He's come in. He's worked. He's been consistent. Shift after shift, game after game, and he hasn't relinquished that role. So in my opinion, the benching helped him kind of understand what the coaches wanted from him. And he's been solid. He had a really good game. I I think he can be a breakout for White uh, and that entire line within the next couple of games. Oh, that line was buzzing all night. They were creating offense. Colin White, yeah, uh, for the last few games too, much like Mike Riley, it's not just one game performance for Colin White. It's, you know, it's been a handful of games where he's really noticeably much better. Uh, to me, it's his strength. He's he's faster, but he's also way stronger. He's winning puck battles this year. 
that he wasn't winning last year. He's staying on his feet. I mean, you start to notice these things, even with Brady Kachuk, you know, how many times was he laid out on his belly or on his backside um, through the first year or two of his career? And now he's always on his feet and he's winning puck battles. Colin White looks that strong now. And, you know, it's only a matter of time before Tim Stutzla gets there. It'll be a couple of years and Josh Norris. And those are the two that really need to strengthen up. But Colin White, I completely agree with you there, Shane. He had a terrific game last game. Yeah, and, you know, hopefully it continues against Toronto. And before we get into the Toronto series, you know, we do this every time after uh, every episode. Let's go through the good, the bad, the ugly for this Winnipeg series. Starting with the ugly, we're going to go reverse order, go ugly, bad, good. What was the ugly for you in this series? Yeah, well, the ugly was that entire first game, really. I mean, if I could just wrap it up with a bow, I guess. There's not any one thing that was particularly bad. I mean, they outshot the Jets in that game, you know, by quite a bit, and they outpossessed them, but every single bounce went against them, and they couldn't score goals. So uh, for me, I, I've got to go, you know, just that entire first game, but but their inability to score is really the the ugly for me. Yeah, I agree. That first game was was ugly to watch. It was not a fun game. But overall, yeah, the, the inability to finish on their chances is the ugly. You know, this isn't a team where they can't score three, four goals a night. They have the they have the skill, they have the offensive chances. Their lack of finish, you know, Dadunov seems to be going, finally finding his groove. He's had three goals in the last four games. So maybe that kickstarts things. But overall, the lack of finish has been concerning. So for me, the ugly is definitely the lack of finish. Yeah, and switching over to the bad. Um, for for the bad for, for this series, um, you know, besides the lack of finish, uh, for this one, I've, I've got to go to Chris Tierney. And I almost feel guilty doing it. But we talked about it earlier in the show. And, you know, the more I talk about it, the more I think about it, it's almost spoken into existence, but he's really had a quietly a really poor start to the season. And he's a guy that the Senators would rely on, you know, before this. So he's a guy that he's got to get it going. And it's not like Connor Brown, because at least Connor Brown's still getting chances. Chris Tierney just looks kind of invisible out there. Yeah, I agree. Tierney has not been the same level that we saw last year. And I mean, it's kind of hard to just fault the one player when there's been so many others who've kind of gone onto slow chances. Kachuk got his first goal in seven games. Shabbat has kind of had the hit and misses as well. For me, the bad, and you can lump this in with the, the lack of execution, the lack of finish, has been the power play. Hmm. You know, uh, the lack of puck movement, the lack of just general movement. I think it was the first game where I think they had a five-on-three for Win- against Winnipeg, and they had Batherson. And Stutzla on opposite sides, so there was no one-timer set up. Like, the lack of movement with this power play is my bad. You know, they could easily have more goals if they had a better power play. Yeah, you know what drove me nuts about that, too, is the drop pass thing that was there at the start of the season. It kind of came back, but it came back even worse. Where the, the players receiving the puck, for whatever reason, they weren't moving forward with the play. They were just staying behind... Uh, behind the goaltender and then they would receive the puck and like gingerly skate it to the neutral zone and lose the puck or dump it in and then it would be sent back the other way and I was like what the hell is this like what's going on why are we back to this um, but it seemed to come back for a little while and and Shane uh, what is your good from this series honestly for okay so two-part good the first, the first part is ha- the rebound that Hogberg had in game two. That, to me, is probably the biggest good to see that kind of rebound for him after such an abysmal first couple of games, you know, the two goals in game two that he let up. But the second good for me is the defense. Overall, the defense has been better every game. They haven't... I think there's been more offensive defense, like more problems defensively from our forwards than there has been from our six defenders that are in the lineup right now. I think there's more, obviously you have your turnovers and whatnot, but I think a lot of the breakdowns, like the, the goal, like Shifley or yeah, Shifley's goal in game one. Yes, because 
Hogberg was playing the pass or was playing. Fannin, like they, he didn't back check properly to take Shifley. Like Shifley was his man, and it cost them a goal. So I'm just gonna say, you know, overall the defense has been very well. They've moved the puck very well. So that's been my good for this series. And for my good, I'm going to go with a couple of different lines. I'm going to go with the Paul White-Dadinov line because finally the Senators have a line that could cycle the puck really effectively in the offensive zone. Um, and, you know, that's something they struggle to do all season. Um, the more you're able to play with the puck in the offensive zone, obviously, you know, it's better for your puck possession and you have more ability to score. And at the same time, you don't allow the opposition to attack you and, you know, and potentially score a goal. Uh, so I'll go with that for the good alongside the Zub and Riley D pairing because I think that's just been completely stellar and having a legitimate top four is uh, something that's going to turn the tables for Ottawa. Yeah, 100% agree. I think though those two lines have been very good for Ottawa this year, or the last couple of games. But we're going to take a quick, quick break. We come back, preview the three-game set versus Toronto, what to what we expect and what we hope uh, for. And we'll also talk a little bit about the, the two-game set, the two-game first two games for Belleville uh, that was not very good for the Belleville Senators. So thank you all for tuning in so far. You can follow us on YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, Sense Hour. Stay with us. We'll be back uh, shortly. Uh, you know what? I'm just I, I, so heated because of what, what you're telling me because I, I do not want to live – in a world, <laughs> in a world where a craft dinner is the fucking substitute to a good macaroni, you're putting powder. No, 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 Mac- macaroni, as you call it, is a substitute for candy. God. <laughs> oh my God! Go to, go to Italy. If you ask, open some fucking no, 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 craft no, no, no. dinner. No, 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 no. If you ask any Canadian, would they rather have? KD, they will tell you KD is the best, it is superior, it is the fucking national treasure, and it is the greatest dish in Canada. I'm Mason Dixon, a Habs fan stuck in Leafs country, with my co-host Corey, a southern beauty trapped deep in the bayous of Louisiana. With over 2,500 kilometers of separation, We've still managed to come together to give you Habs Nightly, your hub for Habs content. While I don't know what a kilometer is, I do know Habs hockey. Don't let the 10-year age gap or distance fool you. We bleed Blue Blanc Rouge, and we're known to serve up hot takes along with our unique charm. Join us every Monday and Thursday for Hockey Talk, Ref Rage, and your daily dose of Southern ignorance. Only on the Hockey Podcast Network. Katie is the superior macaroni and cheese. Get the fuck out of here. You put um, ketchup on your fucking macaroni, you nasty kid? Yes, I fucking do. This has been Habs Nightly. You guys have a great night. And we're back, and, you know, the Buttes from Habs Nightly continuing to talk about mac and cheese versus KD. If you didn't have, didn't listen to our ramble about that, check out last week or our last episode, episode 21. It's on all your platforms. You can check it up on our YouTube page as well. Fantastic episode. It, it came up a little bit late because I got the, the thing wrong. It's fine. I've fixed it. It's up. It's posted. You can all go see it. But onto this series against the Toronto Maple Leafs, Game, I believe games three, four, and five against the Leafs out of nine. And, you know, two obviously opposite ends of the standings right now, all expected. But, you know, we won the first meeting against them, could have won the second meeting against them. There's talk that Sabrin's going to be in the lineup for one of the games against Ottawa Jumbo. Joe's coming back. What, like, in, in all, okay, in reality, realistically, do you think there's a chance that Ottawa can win this series and not necessarily sweep, but get four of, of the six points? Yeah, 
I, I do. I think, you know, it's NHL hockey. You just never know what's going to happen. Um, and when Ottawa plays Toronto, it's a little bit different. I mean, y- you look at it, you know, like you said, one team's at, you know, the top, the very top of the league standings. One team's at the very bottom, so you're expecting a, a sweep here for the Leafs. Um, and anything less than, than that for them is not good. It's, you know, this is easy six points for the Toronto Maple Leafs. Um, and that's the way they're going to look at it coming in. But uh, I don't see it that way at all. I think, you know, these games are always battles. Ottawa's always ready for these games. Um, and I expect that that's what we're going to see. I do. Uh, I, I would not be surprised at all if Ottawa comes away with the series win here, just because, you know, what is life? <laughs> it happens sometimes. Yeah, I mean, two games in hand on Vancouver were seven points behind them. A four-point swing, you know, four points against the Leafs, sitting at 23 points in the standings. That'll put us up at 12 points. Ridiculous. You know, that that's kind of crazy. We have Calgary and Montreal coming up next week. I know we've said it before, but, you know, if we can win this series, get some momentum going, we could, especially with that Calgary game coming up, we could create some ground and move up the standings. Yeah, when you're playing every game is against divisional opponents, so the swing is huge, right? Like, you know, when you're winning, they're not winning, so every game is like a four-point game. We used to call them four-point games in the past, so if you win cleanly, if you win without surrender surrendering that extra point in overtime, then, you know, you're potentially playing four-point swing games. That's uh, That's a huge swing in the standings. So even though Ottawa is way out of it right now, don't e- don't even bother looking. Um, it, it may not necessarily, you know, be that way at the end of the, the next couple of series. Yeah, like we play Toronto three times this week, and then our next, you know, four games are against Montreal and Calgary and Ottawa. If, you know, we could somehow, we, we hey, we split the series against Montreal last week. Could have argued that, hey, we could have swept that series. Uh, against Montreal. So again, we can if we steal two games against Montreal, the game against Calgary, anything's possible. As long as this team can start executing along with the goaltending, Ottawa can make some noise in the next couple of weeks. And then you add in Dezingle into this, where, again, we play Calgary, Montreal, Calgary are the first three games of March. Uh, all, we play Calgary like five times, or four, three times, to- yeah, five times in March. Play Toronto again, Montreal uh, three times, Edmonton, Vancouver. Those are teams that we're chasing. We could easily leapfrog some of these teams depending on how the standings go. Well, that would be really nice. I mean, you know, that's a a great way to look at it. Um, But, you know, going to play the Leafs, the one thing you want to avoid is letting them have any power play time. So you want to stay the heck out of the box. Um, and that would be my advice to the Senators because the Leafs have a lethal power play. But wh- when it comes to five on five, it's uh, you know it could be pretty even. Yeah, I think five on five. This team lines obviously the the Toronto top six is you know they're top heavy. They've always they've been top heavy the last four years. Their bottom six is where we can really make some noise if we can get that, especially if that Dadunov off white line continues to thrive. I would expect them to get the bulk of the the Thornton, Marlowe, Matthews line. Mm-hmm. But I would not be surprised to see if, you know, this is where Kachuk breaks out or Batherson or Stutzla break out. Getting those lower pairing lines, they're, they're shutdown lines. Yeah, that's where Ottawa could take advantage of them. Um, I would like to see Kachuk away from Tierney and Brown. I think they've tried it, you know, for a little while now, and it's just not really working out for any of them. Um, maybe reuniting him with uh, Norris and Batherson might be all right. If you could get a couple of lines going, then you're in business. Um, but right now, the Senators seem to only get one line going every game, and uh, lately it's been the white Paul Dadanov. And, yeah, like you said, they're going to be relied upon to shut down the heavy line with uh, Marner, Matthews, and Thornton. No question. Yeah, and I think, you know, personally, my ideal top line, I wouldn't move Batherson away from Stutzla and Stepan unless you're replacing Stepan because it <laughs> looks like Batherson and Stutzla have started to create chemistry. Yeah, that's true. So you can make an argument, okay, put Tierney on that line between those two, 
put Norris on that line. But I think overall, like we've created, there's been, there's been at least chances created and you know, the Hey, that top line, that Tierney Brown Kachuk line got the game winning goal. They worked hard in the corners. So I don't see many lineup changes until the Zingles in the lineup at the end of the month, unless they call up, you know, Connor or Logan Brown or Formington in the next couple of days. Yeah, you're you're probably not wrong there. I mean, it, it is, you know, what you said there with Batherson and Stutzla. It is nice to create a couple of players that have some chemistry. And, um, you know, if anyone needs to get going, it's Stutzla and Batherson, really. I mean, both of them have been held, uh, you know, off the score sheet for the last little while. Uh, Tim Stutzla, I don't know how much longer do you take before you send him down to Belleville and, you know, get his confidence back up because uh, ever since really having that breakout against the Canadians, I believe, where he scored three points, um, he hasn't been the same player. He just, you know, he, he he's kind of chasing the game. Yeah, honestly, personally, the way I would do it, I would start Kachuk, Stutzla, and Batherson. Again, that like see how they go see how they play like Stutzle in the middle then yeah. not necessarily the end of the if you have those three on the like no no one's gonna look at it badly if you have those three on the line together so screw it why not especially against Toronto where they're most likely gonna match up your your bottom pairing both Batherson and, and Kachuk can battle down low Stutzle has speed you had to take advantage of that, and I would not be surprised if DJ does something like that. The Lions, and I th- again, I, we've said it before, I think overall we need to stop looking at the Lions as one, two, three, four, and mm-hmm. more of, this is what I'm going to put on paper, but it doesn't necessarily mean I'm going to stick to it all game. Yeah, exactly, and like distribution of minutes could be different for so many players based on the roles that they play too, right? So... Uh, yeah, numbering lines is definitely something that fans do and probably not really something that coaches do. Yeah, not anymore anyways. Like, I know, like obviously, you go back, you know, even five years, numbering lines, you had your distinct one, two, three, four. Now you don't really see it anymore. You know, Tampa no. doesn't really – like, you have, your, you have your top six and your bottom six, but they're all productive. They can all produce. They can all shut down. They can, all, they can literally do everything you need them to do so you can throw them all in out there in any situation and feel confident. And I think that's what DJ is trying to do. And, you know, if we had a couple more wins, maybe fans are a little bit less critical of it. Yeah. And I, and I think too, you know, with numbering lines, if you have distinctive top lines, like if you have a line like Colorado has or Toronto has or Boston or Tampa Bay, like that's the only time you really say, okay, this is our number one line. And then there's everybody else. Where, you know, if you're a group of players like the Ottawa Senators, and that's the way this team is formed, really. It's it's not centered around one kind of one or two key pieces. It's going to be if if the Senators are going to beat you, even in the future, you know, when we're looking at this team eventually, they're going to beat you because of the depth, not because they had, you know, star player after star player on the top lines. Yeah, 100%. I think it's one of those, it's going to be a lot like St. Louis, where, their best center was, you know, uh, Riley, or uh, Ryan O'Reilly, and I believe when in on if you looked at the the lineups during that cup run, he was the designated second line center, from yeah. what I remember. You know, anytime they released the lines, it was, you know, he was generally the second guy on that line, like second guy there. So overall, you're going to win by committee. That's how you win a cup. You know, one line does not single-handedly win you a cup. If that was the case, Ottawa would have won in 07. Wasn't the case. <laughs> Toronto yeah. would have more than zero. Like They would have a playoff win. They would have a playoff series win. But overall, like if Hogberg can outduel uh, Jack Campbell and uh, Frederick Anderson, Ottawa has a serious chance because you know Frederick Anderson's inconsistent. Jack Campbell... Don't know what he's going to be like after injury. If Hogberg plays the way he did against Winnipeg and gives Ottawa a chance to win and Ottawa can score and help out Hogberg, this team could seriously surprise a lot of players in this series. 
there's definitely a lot of ifs there, but, uh, but you know, that's going to be the case. We're talking about the last place team in the league versus the first. And, uh, you know, that's just the situation that Ottawa's in right now. But could they win? Absolutely, they could. It's the NHL. You know, on any given night, especially if the Leafs take them lightly, on any given night, if a team takes you lightly, you could win. We've seen it when Ottawa played Montreal, like you said, for that two-game set. Ottawa could have took both games, and at the time, Montreal was in first in the entire league. So it can happen. Yeah, and... You know, the other night, Nashville lost to Detroit 4-2. They were down 3 nothing at one point. I mean, Nashville has turned into just a complete shit show of a, of a team. <laughs> uh, but, you know, overall, like, yeah, they, they've, they lost to Detroit. Detroit looked relatively solid against some of the bigger teams. Uh, I, I really want to know because I don't think – have you seen anything but Ottawa releasing a reverse retro schedule yet? Because I know most teams have. I haven't seen anything for Ottawa, personally. No, other than just announcing it the day of that they're using them, um, I haven't seen anything. So, yeah, that's interesting. Something to keep an eye on. Um, Last time they did it, it was on – was it on a Thursday or did they skip the Thursday? They skipped the Thursday. I think they wore it – I want to say against Winnipeg. Yeah, I think it was a Saturday game. Yeah. Yeah, I think it was like a it was like one of their Saturday afternoon games. It was against Montreal. That's what it was. Oh yeah. It was yeah. that the, the loss. We beat Montreal on the the Thursday with their reverse retros, and then we beat them on the Saturday with their. Yeah, we lost to them in our reverse retros. They lost to us in their reverse retros. But could we see Ottawa wear the reverse retro in Toronto? Maybe. I mean, it's a sharp jersey. I'm excited to uh, to see that one debut again. Yeah, I really hope we see it against Montreal on Sunday or Calgary on Thursday. I would love for teams to wear double dark. You know, both teams wearing their dark jerseys. Uh, <laughs> personally, if Calgary were to wear their Blasty jersey in Ottawa, when Ottawa was wearing their reverse retro, I would be all about it. It would work. I mean... Um, you know, some of the jerseys, obviously, they wouldn't work together. You wouldn't know who your teammate is and who isn't. But some of them that are just totally different colors, it doesn't really matter. I mean, you know, if if Montreal had a reverse retro on and Ottawa did, one's blue and one's red. Um, you're not going to confuse the two. Same with the Blasty is, is a black jersey with the Ottawa's red. Um, it would work well together. It would be fine. It would be fun, too. Yeah, I mean, I, I wish the NHL would just allow the teams – to pick whatever jersey they want. Screw setting these dates of like, yeah. oh, we're going to wear this jersey on these days, this jersey on this day. Screw it. I want to wear the re- – let the captains pick the jersey. Do a baseball. <laughs> the ba- if I remember correctly, baseball does the uh, – the like the starting pitcher picks the jersey that they wear. Right. Um, a lot of the team captains to pick the jersey that they wear. Baseball also has like what, like eight jerseys in their rotation to pick from? <laughs> Yeah, that's true. Like, you never see the same one twice. But, I don't know, I think it'd be cool. You know, you have your captain pick out the jersey that you want to wear. St. Louis has, like, five to choose from now. Yeah. So, like, uh, Phoenix has a couple to choose from. Carolina has a couple to choose from. So, you know, seeing those be picked by the captains, that'd be sick. Yeah, for sure. I I do notice, too, some of the goaltenders, like, their whole setup changes – uh, with the reverse retros, like some of them have gone right into it. Not Ottawa's goalies because, you know, they've got boring setups. But if you look around the league, um, I want to say, actually, I want to say it was Calgary. It was uh, Markstrom, I believe, had a, you know, uh, beautiful setup uh, in his uh, Blasty jersey. It was really cool. Yeah, David Riddick actually has the Blasty horse on his pads. Yeah, it might have been Riddick, actually, that i seen then. Yeah, because people were making fun of Markstrom for basically using his skate pads from the Vancouver, like the Vancouver skate jersey, the the colorway and the like, the scheme that he used for those pads for the oh, Blasty yeah. jersey, because they're similar colors. Yeah, they line right? up perfectly, yeah. So people were making fun of, oh, you <laughs> know, he's just practicing to wear the, the skate jersey and whatnot, which was hilarious. But yeah, Riddick has the the Blasty logo on his pads that when they're put together, it forms the horse. That's uh, crazy. Crazy. I that think, Jersey too. That one is really sharp. It's um, beautiful. That one. And I don't know if you've seen the Panthers game last night. I, oh my goodness. 
I see. I don't know how I feel about the Panthers jersey. I well, saw it, brings, it. It brings me back to the '90s. It looks terrific. See, Tampa's reverse retro when they wore yeah. it the other day, beautiful. Yeah, Should, I want them one. to go back to that logo. Yeah, that one's super cool too. It reminds you of Le Cavalier and Saint Louis, like. You know, yeah. that one really brings you back. The Hudobin, the Richard, those guys. Yeah. Arizona mentioned, like, re, uh, wore their purple reverse retros the other night. Yeah. Which was super nice. They're, they're beautiful. But, you know, we've kind of we've kind of deterred from the Toronto series a little bit because <laughs> that's what we do on this show. Yeah. Uh, but, again, so before we move on to Belleville real quick because we're hitting at the hour and I do want to touch up on Belleville, what are your predictions? Give me uh, your three predictions, one for each game player to watch whatever let me know who do you think is going to stand out whatever you want give me your three predictions all right let's go for the first game um Hogberg's gonna come in and be equally as solid um and that's my prediction I think he's gonna you know build off the confidence that he got last game and I think he's gonna steal one for the Ottawa Senators right off the hop uh tomorrow night on on Monday night so that's my first prediction um, in the second game, I think the Leafs are going to bounce back and I think they're going to have, um, a dominant performance. Uh, so I think that's where we're going to see a lopsided score. But then in the third game to close out the series, I think the Ottawa senators are going to take it in overtime. Um, and I really, really feel like Stutzla is due. So look for him to have a big series on the biggest stage against the Leafs. Yeah. Uh, you know, th- those are pretty good. Personally, I'm going to agree on number one. I think, you know, uh, Hogberg is going to come in after that solid performance against Winnipeg against Toronto. Game two, though, my bold prediction is Stutzla has a three-point night. Batherson and Batherson gets on the score sheet with two goals. That's my bold prediction for game two. Game three, Kachuk and Marner uh, Matthews fight. <laughs> Watson and Sabrin fight. And Norris scores a hat trick. I got three predictions in game three. I'm going That's... bold for the last one. I think Norris is going to have a breakout game on game three. Game three sounds fun. That's the Thursday night game, I believe, yeah. right? So the back to back. That one sounds like the most fun. So we'll see how these predictions work out for us. Yeah, they're not. I guarantee my third, my game three is probably not going to happen, especially <laughs> Norris getting a hat trick. But who knows, right? They play the game for a reason. Uh, but. Before we, we end off, the Belleville started. Uh, I didn't I didn't know if you had a chance to watch the Belleville games. They were free on AHL TV this weekend. They were a lot of fun. Ottawa got their or Belleville got their butts handed to them against Laval. A lot of sloppy defensive play. It looked like players who haven't played with each other before. And I think we scored one goal. The top line, Abramov, or the top line in game two was Schlappick, Brown, and Abramov. Top line in game one. Schlappick, Brown, Sokolov. Brown needed these games. Okay, I don't know if you – did you watch them? I didn't watch the games, but from everyone I've heard from, they said that Brown looked uh, really, really bad. <laughs> yeah, he – so here's the thing. Brown didn't look slow. Hmm. He just looked like he was trying too much. Like he was trying to force things. He wasn't just allowing it to happen. He was just – he was trying to find the perfect pass. He was trying to find the perfect shot. And it just didn't work for him. They were. So they were as Laval and it cost them in both games. So, yeah, I think Brown going back to Belleville, best thing ever. Again, we don't see what happens behind the scenes, but whatever Darian saw and whatever Smith saw, it was right because Brown looked bad in game one. Yeah, if he's not NHL ready, again, like if he's just not ready, that's on him. I mean, um, you know, how many years has it been now that Brown should be an NHL player? It's, uh, you know, you're you're going back to the drawing board again, and you've heard Bruce Garriott kind of rumor around Logan Brown being on the trade block. And if he's genuinely not ready um, for NHL action at this point, uh, I think you just got to, you know, cut ties and move on. Um, you know, how many times have we talked about Logan Brown and, and his potential? And at some point, potential becomes nothing when you're talking about this guy when he's 22 and 23 and he still hasn't broken into the league. It's probably not going to happen for him. So 
I think the leash is really, really short when it comes to Logan Brown. I still want to see what he could do at the NHL level, but uh, man, time is running out on Logan Brown. Yeah, and I think it's unfair to kind of just pick on Brown because Schlappick looked bad, uh, Sokolov looked bad. A lot of the players, like even on the back end, a lot of the players looked bad. Decord looked good. I know he gave up five goals, but he looked sharp. A lot of those goals, deflections, two on one, stuff like that. The two player, the three players that stood out most to me this series, Lassie Thompson. A lot of a lot of issues hmm. over in Finland. Uh, first period, he looked rough in game one, but kind of calmed down for the rest of the game. Was up, moving the puck. He was playing with confidence. In game two, it continued. He, you know, he was noticeable in a good way when he was on the ice. He had some bad defensive plays, but that's going to happen. Formanton, though, was all over the ice, causing problems. He took a couple of penalties in game two, but he's more, he needs to use his north-south speed more than anything. And I think that's why we haven't seen him in the in the NHL yet. It's because he's, when it comes to his speed, he's very inconsistent in being able to use it. But when you said he was all over the ice, is that a positive thing? Like, was he very noticeable for oh, you? Yeah. Or... Oh, oh, yeah. Oh, okay. yeah. He was hit, yeah. he was letting, like hitting players. He was hard in the boards. Like, he was very positive. He was probably, out of both games, he was the best player. But he did a lot of instead of north-south. There was one game, I think in game two, uh, in the period, he went north-south and just blew by Fender all. It was great to see, but he tried too much in game, especially in game two, too much east-west, not enough north-south, can't pick up speed like that, and it cost him. But he was all over the ice, hitting players, getting in their faces, creating turnovers, creating chances. But it's his speed is going to be his determining factor in the NHL. And personally, he just wasn't using it consistently enough to to drive the offense and draw chances. Oh, fair enough. I think that's, you know, that's positive though from the first couple of games that he was that noticeable um, because really in that lineup, that's probably the one player that you're looking at and saying, this is definitely a a future Ottawa Senator. Uh, So if he was the most noticeable player and Lassie Thompson too, that's a huge plus after having, you know, some, a lot of negatives being reported from uh, overseas. So um, a lot of people think he plays better in the North American style game. So maybe it's a little bit more suited to him. Um, time will tell, but I expect Belleville to be much, much better than uh, than they were over the, the last couple of games. Yeah. And the last one was our first round pick, uh, 28th overall, Ridley Gregg. He's playing in Belleville until the Western Hockey League kind of sorts itself out. I'm not sure how long he's going to be in Belleville, but I would expect him back in the lineup on uh, Tuesday when we play the uh, the Rockets again, but this guy he's strong, he's tough in the corners. Like he he's wearing number nine. He was replacing Norris in that nine category in Belleville. He was strong. He was strong on the puck. He he was fast. He had some chances. He had some chances in tight. Just couldn't capitalize on them. I really enjoy what I saw from really Greg in the first couple of games, and I think Ottawa might have a steal for a 28th overall pick. And the next two, three years, we could be looking at it being like, how did he not go in the top 15? Wow, that's really positive. I mean, Ridley Gregg's a a player that when I first looked into, I thought, you know, maybe he compares to someone like Brendan Gallagher, maybe maybe on the really, really high end, someone like Marshan. If he could, you know, if he could be a player like that, that would be absolutely huge for Ottawa. He's that gritty style player with a little bit of skill involved as well. Um, you know, I was disappointed that they didn't draft Paterka, and I'm still disappointed that they didn't draft Paterka. But, um, but having a player like that, if he if he can work out for Ottawa, that would be huge. Yeah, and I mean, again, small sample size, but as an 18 year old jumping into the AHL without playing in almost a year, you know, he has shown, you know, he's shown flashes of why Ottawa drafted him. You know, if I'm gonna draw, if I'm gonna draw a comparable to what I saw from Ridley Gregg in the first couple of games. It's going to be, you know, an Anse Kopitar, a Bo Horvat, kind of dirty in the like dirty in the corners, in tight against the goaltender, and just wrecking havoc overall. Like, he wasn't chasing the play as much as you would think an 18-year-old would be. So, I'll be, like, honestly, in my opinion, I think if, there was, if this was a regular year, He's in Brandon. He is tearing up the WHL this year. He's probably going to be on Team Canada. 
uh, next season, like this coming World Juniors. So I think this is very much like a Pinto pick where at the time of the draft, it's kind of questionable, but we're really going to see what Ridley Gregg is in the 21-22 season when the WHL is back in full swing, when he's, you know, when COVID doesn't impact his World Junior camp. And I think Ottawa fans are going to love Ridley Gregg in the next couple of years. It's the same with Parker. Uh, Parker Kelly had a goal against Laval, and he just, he was all over the ice. In the corners, behind the net, he's a guy that, like him, Greg and Formanton would be a very fun line because you have speed, grit, and finish on that line. Yeah, that would be really nice in the future for sure. And You know, mentioning Shane Pinto is also nice because he's currently tearing up the league. So, you know, having him come in, and I think he'll he'll be a senator as early as next year. Um, that's another huge addition. So there's still, you know, there's a lot of prospects that are on the team currently on, on the Senators, but there's still, you know, these prospects that Shane just mentioned that are coming up as well uh, that should help round out this uh, this rebuild. And then we'll finally be able to see kind of what we have and actually assess the talent that we have. But uh, for now, we keep looking toward the future. Yeah. Amanda Lozzi played good. I mean, I know I think he left out five goals as well, but Overall, he played solid. His positioning was good. So I think Ottawa, if they could stick to the plan, they're in very like, we're in very good hands for the future of this organization. There you go. That's you know that's really positive because uh, a lot of people are you know starting to question the rebuild and they're kind of on the fence of again you know is this the real thing? Is Ottawa really going to be able to turn the corner? Especially being you know where they are in the standings this year, we're expecting a little bit of an advance. Um, so time will tell really next year is a huge telltale sign. Um, but it really isn't about where they finish this season. It's, it's about where they are next season and we'll have a much better indication next season of where this team is at. Oh, hundred percent. And I'm excited. I mean, I want, I'm excited to see what the end of this year stand, uh, finishes like excited to see the growth in the players. We'll be keeping a close eye out in Belleville. Sorry, the Lighting got really bad. The sun is literally just going through the window right now. But <laughs> it's the end of the episode anyways. Uh, thank you all for listening. Follow us, Sends underscore our YouTube, uh, Twitter, Instagram, uh, and Sends Hour on YouTube. My standard is Ryan97, Derek D. Leo75. Remember to check out his articles and his work with Sends Talk and New Era Sends. And we will remember uh, Customized Sports, Sends Hour, 10% off your order. Uh Great quality uh, kits. I have a branch room kit coming in. I'll show you all when it comes in. It's great. Uh, we will have new episodes and new things coming towards you sometime this week. So stay tuned for on our Twitter and Instagram for some up-to-date stuff on what we've been doing behind the scenes. Thank you all for tuning in. Uh, we will catch you back here later in the week with a brand new episode of the Sense Hour podcast. Stay safe. Enjoy the games. And have a great one.